Thanks for that great song. Great song of encouragement, an important song in, as far as suffering and discouragement is concerned and putting things in perspective and imagining being persecuted and uh, facing difficulty in life. Just I like that, that that song told us to think, think, think. We think rightly about what is true of ours uh, in Christ Jesus and just a good ministry of music. I'm thankful for that. Well, there's only ever been one perfect pastor, and there only ever will be one perfect pastor. His name is Jesus, right? He is the good shepherd. Um, shepherd means pastor, and he lays his life down for his sheep. We're thankful for a good and perfect pastor whose name is Jesus. Nevertheless, Jesus has uh, given pastors to his church, according to Ephesians chapter 4, Um, pastors under him, sometimes they're even called under shepherds because they're under his authority. And uh, I, for one, am so thankful for pastors God has given me, for shepherds who follow Jesus' command and they seek to help me lead a stable Christian life, a growing Christian life. And they, they seek to protect me spiritually. They seek to feed me spiritually. I'm super thankful uh, for those kinds of pastors God has put in my life. And this morning we're going to be learning a little bit more about what it means to be a faithful pastor. So if you have a Bible and you haven't already turned there, I'll invite you to turn to First Timothy. And in First Timothy we're going to learn from Paul as he interacts with Timothy about what it means to be a faithful pastor, what uh, they would look like characteristically. And uh, we're going to do somewhat of a survey of First Timothy, uh, not exactly in order, but looking at some of the characteristics of a faithful pastor uh, and we're going to do that specifically from First Timothy this morning. The occasion that brings us uh, to doing this this morning, um, circumstantially, is today at the end of the service, we are going to um, finish or complete, bring to fruition um, our ordination process of one of our pastors, Pastor Mike Grimes, who's right over here, second row. Um, Mike has successfully completed the ordination process, and uh, he's at a place now where we want to do what the Bible says as far as publicly affirm uh, the process that he's gone through. It's a good day. It's an exciting day. We want to encourage Mike and Angie. Uh, We also want to be encouraged as a church. Um, There are qualifications to be met, and we'll see them in just a moment, but uh, there are moral qualifications in the Bible to be a pastor. There are all uh, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. There are also qualifications related to skill, um, skillfulness specifically when it comes to the gospel and the word of God. Uh, In fact, Titus even says that a pastor needs to not only to be able to skillfully teach sound doctrine, uh, they have to be able to do so at such a skillful level that they can actually refute those who contradict sound doctrine. And so, in a sense, you'd say they have to be expert in the Bible, as some have said before. Uh, Not only that, even after they seem to have met those qualifications morally and those qualifications skillfully, uh, there is even still a note of caution in 1 Timothy uh, that a church um, needs to be cautious about laying hands on someone too quickly and affirming them. And so we want to take that seriously as well. And we have, uh, practically speaking, that's led us to have what we call uh, an ordination process, a formalized process. Um, There's a Bible component where their Bible knowledge is tested through oral examinations. It's quite a big deal. Um, Mike has successfully completed that. There's also a theological uh, knowledge examination period. Mike has also completed that successfully. Um, There's also a pastoral ministry and counseling component. Mike has uh, completed that as well. Uh, And then uh, here we are. 
Uh, oh, there's also the teaching component. Sorry, I forgot one. Uh, and then here we are, the last phase, if you will, uh, where we say, praise God. Um, he's provided a shepherd to help shepherding uh, at this local church. Um, by God's grace, he's done this, so we give him the credit for it. But we do want to follow that biblical example where they would lay hands on someone. The other pastors would lay hands on them, not in a mysterious, magical way, uh, but so as to physically affirm uh, and, and to show affirmation that God has done this. Uh, and so we want to do that at the end of the service today. And I'm excited. Can hardly wait for that to happen. I want you to be encouraged by that. I want Mike to be encouraged as well. I'm sure he will be. Um, but before we get to that, let's be reminded about what a faithful pastor could be. It's a good reminder to Mike. Um, it's a good reminder to you. It's a good reminder to me. Um, and it'll even help us to know by way of application what a faithful church is to be um, under that shepherding. Okay? Well, that's what we're going to do. So I hope you think that's okay. But, um, so that's the plan. First Timothy, we're going to look at five characteristics of a faithful pastor. Uh, and so we'll start with number one. Uh, and that will be he is not self-appointed. He is not self-appointed. And if you look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, you'll see that um, he, he should have a desire, he should have an aspiration, uh, but that's not enough. Look what it says in verse 1 where it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires or desires to the office of overseer, which is a synonym for pastor or an elder, he desires a noble task. First thing we need to see is that you do, you do need to have the desire. You do need to have the aspiration. But I at least want to point out to you this morning that that's not enough. There are lots of people and there have been lots of people who've wanted to be a pastor um, and who've had that desire. Uh, and you could get online right now. Please don't. But you could get online right now for twenty nine ninety five, and you can buy an ordination certificate uh, and you too can be a pastor. Uh, well... Thankfully, that's not what we're doing today, and thankfully, um, that's not what Pastor Mike has done either. Um, aspiration is important, but aspiration is not enough. Self-appointment is, is, is not the way it should be. There are objective qualifications. Let's go ahead and read them now, beginning in verse 2. These are measurable. These are observable. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Verse 6 says, he must, be, he must not be a recent convert, or he may be come puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. One other relevant passage when it comes to objective qualifications and not being self-appointed in First Timothy would be chapter 4. If you just go to the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 14, gives us some insight into seeing a pastor shouldn't be a self-made man. Uh, they should be qualified, and they should be observably qualified. In verse 14, it says, Do not neglect the gift you have. This is Paul writing to Timothy, which was given you by or accompanied by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. That becomes very important that we acknowledge uh, what he's saying there. When the council of elders laid their hands on you. See, what's happening is, 
Desire is there, that's good, but it's not enough. What happens is, in the context of a church, in the context of a local church like this one, there are others who are qualified, objectifiably qualified, and they recognize the gifting of God and they affirm the gifting of God and so they lay hands on him, affirming him that he indeed is tested and meets the qualifications doesn't mean that this is a perfect person. There's no such thing this side of seeing Jesus and being made like him. But there are those evidences of God's grace in this person's life to the point where it's visible, verifiable, observable, meeting qualifications. And then the amazing thing is it's recognized within the local church. I'm not the first one to say that, uh, but I'll, I'll repeat it in essence. If someone is truly gifted and called by God to be a pastor, they won't be the only ones who think that. In fact, it won't just be their friends and family who think it, as good as that might be. The local church will think that. This is clearly what's happening here. The council of the elders, they're together. They meet the qualifications. They recognize the qualifications. And I want to encourage you today, as members of Omaha Bible Church, not just encourage Mike, but encourage you. that It's good to do what churches are supposed to do. Uh, it's good to, to do this sort of thing and recognize it and say, this is the right way for this to happen. What a great thing that God has done. We're not here to praise human beings, but what God has done. But let's do our part in recognizing such individuals. We're, we're acting churchly. We're acting New Testamently, if you will. Uh, and it's a good thing to be able to do this and to, to, to be used of God in this way. They're not self-appointed. They're appointed by those who are, who are in the church and recognize this is happening. Maybe one other thing um, to make mention to you about this not being self-appointed. Hopefully this day will be an important day um, in Mike's life and his family's life. Hopefully it will be an important day for Mike and for Angie and for their kids, extended family as well. And here's why. Because when things in ministry aren't going so well and you think it's time to cash it in, it's good to remember a day like today. Like no other time, it's important to remember that you weren't self-appointed. Timothy's at a place in his life, by the time we get to Second Timothy, probably even in First Timothy a little bit, that he seems to be kind of, um, not kind of, he's struggling. There's persecution, there's opposition, not just from outside the church, but from within the church. I mean, he, what's resonating with him is that old awful saying that ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. <laughs> I mean, things are really hard. And what Paul does to Timothy is he reminds him, if you will, of his ordination. That word's not being used, but he reminds him that... Timothy, this isn't just what you wanted to do. God raised you up for this. And you were affirmed objectively by outsiders who were qualified. Timothy, don't quit. It wasn't just in your head you thought you were called to pastoral ministry. It was actually observed and you were affirmed. Timothy, keep going even when it's hard. And I wish I didn't have to say it, but... Mike will need to remember this day. It'll be, it'll be a gift. It'll be something good. 
It might be something his wife has to remind him of. There's another old saying that uh, one well-known pastor, he talks about how every morning, he re- every Sunday night, he resigns from ministry. <laughs> Only to sign up again on Tuesday morning. It's good to be reminded that you didn't just decide to do this as a career. It's actually something that's been observed and you've been commissioned to do. Let's go ahead and take a look at this sort of thing um, together, if you will. And let's see it in 2 Timothy. So if you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's fascinating how this happens. Realizing you're not self-appointed in the long run is very, very good. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, what he's going to do, and I really want you to see this, is he's going to rehearse for Timothy his own struggles and persecutions and difficulties. But he doesn't quit because the gospel is true. He doesn't quit because Christ commissioned him. And then he applies it to Timothy and says, Timothy, don't you, do, don't you quit either because the gospel is true and you've been commissioned and affirmed officially. Keep going. Keep going. Look what it says in chapter 1, verse 5 of of 2 Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Let me encourage you first of all about your salvation. Then verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame, stoke those fires, the gift of God which is in you through or accompanied by the laying on of my hands. He's trying to remind him, Timothy, you respect me. You understand who I am. I'm an apostle and, and, and I affirmed your ministry. Wow, remember that. Verse 7, for God gave us, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love what he's doing. He's just rehearsing the gospel. How do you encourage a discouraged pastor? Remember you're a Christian. Remember you were called to do this. And remember the gospel. That's how you're going to get encouraged. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher. He's going to use himself as an example. And apostle and teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. See what he's doing? He's using himself as as an example of not quitting, not being overly discouraged. He's been called by Christ, and now he's saying, now you do what I've done in verse 13. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Just, just, just as I've done this, Timothy, and you've been commissioned by those who are in a place to be able to do it, you do it too, even though it's hard. My prayer is that today would be a great day to be reminded of be reminded of. Lord, I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) Lord, this is hard. Am I really called to do this? Well, really looks like you are. Because it wasn't a career move. It was even affirmed by others through that testing process.
sign me up on Tuesday again. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move to a second characteristic. His authority is not inherent. His authority is not inherent. His authority doesn't come from within. And we see this in chapter 4 by implication at least. A pastor, there are many pastors who, who think highly of themselves, unfortunately. There are many pastors who think um, that whatever they say goes, unfortunately. And the reality is um, a pastor who's telling the truth has to say to you uh, that they have no inherent authority. So where does the authority come from? It's got to come from the Word of God. He's a herald of the Word of God. Look with me, if you would, in chapter 4, verse 13. In 4.13, it's a good reminder to the pastor and to the rest of us that his authority comes not from himself, but it comes from Scripture. It says in 13 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. I want you to do the most important thing you can do. Give attention to articulating your wonderful philosophy of life. No. Well, people have real serious issues and they really need to understand the practicality of life. So until I come, I want you to get up on Sunday morning and be a good life coach. No. That would be arrogant, by the way. Because that would have authority from within. This is what I've discovered and this is what I've done and I've done the research and I'm just going to tell you what to do because I know what to do and I'm smart. That would be arrogant. But the pastor's authority doesn't come from within. The pastor's authority comes from without, and it comes from Scripture. By the way, this is why we would say if the Scripture doesn't speak, the pastor ought not speak either, unless he is clear and says, this is just my opinion about this. The Scripture is where his authority comes from. If you would, look then at chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, where there's a fascinating example. As the pastor does speak authoritatively uh, in, in, in what he does, it's a great example that the Word of God is what equips him to do what he does. I want Mike today to be reminded that the Word of God gives him authority, not something else. Okay, there's a controversy in the church, threatening the church, and Timothy's supposed to be a faithful pastor, and he's supposed to, to stop it. And then we're going to see he stops it because of the Word of God, not because of his own philosophy. Look what it says in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Wow, this is going to be bad, and it is bad. So, Timothy's got to man up and be a pastor, and he's got to call it out for what it really is. Well, let's see what, what, what it is. It says in verse 2, through the insincerity of liars, wow, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. But do notice, Paul's making sure Timothy understands this isn't just because it's his philosophy or Timothy's philosophy or, or whatever. Verse 5 says, For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Timothy, you better call those guys out. Not because of your inherent authority, but because of the authority of the Word of God. When you see the Word of God teaching something, the truth matters. Yes, you should be prayerful about how you do this. <laughs> but Timothy, when, when God says, eat everything, then guess what? 
Somebody who says, well, if you're really godly, at certain times of year, you won't eat certain kinds of food. Timothy, you call them out as teaching demonic doctrine. <gasps> you say, that that's kind of arrogant. No, actually, it's not arrogant at all. It's humble because the authority isn't coming from inside of you. The authority is coming from the Word of God. And you're trying to protect the sheep as a pastor and preserve the gospel as a pastor. And you say, if anybody tells you that you can't eat certain foods at certain times of year, if you're really going to please God, you say, that's demonic doctrine. And how about this? Timothy doesn't have the authority within himself to say, I don't think I'm going to do that. Because that might make people mad. No, wait a second. Timothy, you got to do this. And it's so wonderful and freeing for any pastor to be reminded that the authority doesn't come from within, it comes from without. And if you are the man of God, as he says later in this book, who therefore is to preach the word of God, you're not your own man anyway, you do it. And people who likewise say, whatever, but these are the two examples, that if you're really godly and you have a certain extraordinary kind of godliness, then you can't get married. He says, well, that's not what the word of God teaches. So you call it for what it is. It's demonic doctrine. Wow. Isn't it interesting? He does have authority. He does have authority. This is a great reminder to pastors. It's a great reminder to the rest of us too. To the church. Authority rubs us all the wrong way in one way or another because we're still broken. You know what? When God says something, and then he tells the pastor to preach it. Think about the arrogance of preaching if authority is from within. Total arrogance. But if authority is from without, it's the most humble thing to do. The most arrogant thing to do would be to say something other than what God says. It's so helpful to remember that we want pastors to preach. We just don't want them to preach themselves. We want them to preach the truth of God's Word, sanctified by prayer. Yeah, that's right. It's good. It's appropriate. His authority does come. He has authority, but it's not inside of himself. There's authority all over the place. The elders are to rule. Wow. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. That, that pretty much sounds like authority. But they don't rule based upon their own philosophy or thinking. It's based upon what the Scripture says. How about chapter 4, verse 11? Command and teach these things. Chapter 6, verse 2 and following says essentially the same thing. So it's a great reminder today to pastors everywhere, here included, to Pastor Mike, to us as a church. There is authority, but authority isn't here. Authority is here. It's powerful. Not only is it authoritative, it's powerful. You've got to remember that. I've been reading Revelation 1 this week, and so it's, struck in, it's stuck in my mind, this image of Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this image of Jesus at his return. And I don't want to mix uh, motifs too much here and get myself in trouble, but it's obviously second coming kind of judgment image. But he is nevertheless the one who's the good, she the, the good shepherd. Um, but it's interesting, he's returning. And the image is, using this vivid apocalyptic imagery, the image of Jesus is he has a sword coming out of his mouth. A big sword, the big gladiatorial sword. The Ramphira sword, not the little one, the big one. 
Not the dagger, but the big giant sword. And it says, the sword comes out of his mouth and it is the word of God. It's powerful. It's authoritative. Well, the pastor is not Jesus and shouldn't have a Messiah complex. (laughs) But they're under shepherds. And it's a good reminder to pastors they're called to proclaim that powerful word and not some kind of word inside. But it is powerful and it's authoritative. We want pastors like that, right? Yeah, we do. Let's move on now to a third characteristic of a faithful pastor. I hope I said already these aren't the only characteristics. These are just some highlights from 1 Timothy. Number three, his gospel is the historic gospel. His gospel, the gospel he proclaims is the historic gospel. Uh, You can turn to chapter 6 with me if you would just to see an intriguing verse that we skip over a lot and I think it's helpful to remember. Um, What I mean by historic gospel, so the, the gospel that is proclaimed by Pastor Mike or any other pastor, whether they're here or somewhere else, uh, whether this is true for all Christians as well, is not to be a novel message. It's not to be our, our latest and greatest theological musings. Um, it's not, well, I feel it's this way. Um, I sense that it's this way. It's, it's, no, we're talking about historic realities with Jesus coming, living, dying, and rising. That's why we call it good news. You're telling the news about what actually happened. The newscaster doesn't tell about what they felt in their heart as they made the observations. The newscaster is saying, here's what happened on the scene, live at 11, or whatever it might be. You're telling about a historical event that is happening or has happened. In our case, we preach the gospel, which is a historic event, as I like to say so often, you know, 2,000 years ago on a Friday afternoon in Palestine, outside of the city walls. That's his gospel. It's not something new, unique, naive, novel. 1 Timothy 6.13 helps us with this. I charge you, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. For our sake right now, for our purposes, I just wanted you to notice those three words, before Pontius Pilate. Christ Jesus before Pontius Pilate. It's the Jesus of history. He's a real, real life person who really came into this world and really and truly was tried before a real, true, genuine, historic figure. This didn't happen in Paul's imagination. He didn't have a weird dream or some plates came down. He didn't have some kind of weird feeling in his, in his gut or whatever it might be. It, Paul says, Timothy, remember the Jesus we're talking about, the one who stood before Pontius Pilate. There are all, there are all these other musings and all these other ideas, and I feel this and I feel that. Timothy, don't talk like that. The Jesus who stood before Pontius Pilate. Wow. That's the one we preach. Maybe if you want to just go at chapter, chapter 1, verse 15, to see one other example of this. But if you're talking about this kind of gospel, if, if our pastors are going to preach this kind of gospel, that's, that's going to mean that other kinds of gospels aren't the historic gospel, and that means, uh-oh, they can't both be right. That's right. They can't both be right. 
It either happened in real time and space in history, we're not ashamed of it, or it didn't happen. A faithful pastor preaches the historic one that really happened. First Timothy chapter five, verse fifteen excuse me, first Timothy chapter one, verse fifteen says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. Ah, that's incarnation talk. To save sinners of whom I am foremost. Now we just read that a million times over. We don't really think about it. But there's all, philo- all kinds of philosophies that were then, there have been, there are now, and they will keep coming. There's nothing new under the sun that says that's great if you believe in Jesus. We know it's not really historically true. We know that um, uh, it happens in people's hearts. And if it's true to you, then it's true for you. And it's some kind of emotional thing or some kind of spiritual thing, but it's not actually an actual thing. And if it works for you, wonderful. And he's saying, Timothy, no, 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 no. It's not some kind of Gnostic reality, not not tied to matter, not tied to time and space. How about Christ Jesus came into the world, incarnation, really and truly, to save sinners, really and truly. (laughs) As sure as Paul is a real person, he's saying Jesus is a real person. Pastors need to remember that that's who they're preaching, that's who they're proclaiming. If they're not, Paul would say, then the resurrection isn't really real either. And then we're pitiful people, according to 1 Corinthians 15. I won't take the time to, to have you go there. You can jot down 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 11. talks about those who bring different doctrines, different than this historical Jesus. And actually, they're swerving from the truth. What they say is vain. They're wandering. It's not genuine. It's contrary to sound doctrine. Uh, because it's not in, in accordance with the gospel, the historic work of Jesus. A true Christian pastor is the one who tells the true Christian historic story. And by story, I mean narrative. I don't mean fable. <laughs> because we're true people who truly have sins and truly have bodies and we truly need to be redeemed and we truly need to be resurrected and if you don't think you truly need to be resurrected it's because you're young (laughs) and the older you'll get the more you'll realize you really want bodily resurrection (laughs) the Jesus of history is the incarnate Christ pastors are to preach him okay let's move on now to number four and then number five a fourth characteristic of a faithful pastor we're being reminded of today we're reminding pastor mike of today his life evidences fruit of the gospel his life evidences fruit of the gospel we're going to look at first timothy one first timothy four and we'll stop there as we look at this what i'm getting at before we read the passages. The work of Jesus is objectively true, historic reality. That's to be preached. That's to be believed. Whether it feels right or not. Okay? Objectivity. But it's not enough to say you believe all those things and to not have it affect you personally, subjectively, in any way, shape, or form. 
You've got to believe it yourself. Calling other people to believe it, to trust in that Savior yourself. And you're filled with gratitude for what He has done for you. Not only that, you've received the Spirit of God as you believe in Christ Jesus. And now what happens is you are a different person. You're a changing person. You're being conformed. You're being molded into the image of Christ to put it in theological language, you not only believe in Christ for, you not only believe in the historic Jesus, you believe in Him for justification, but it also leads to your life change, your sanctification. And Paul emphasizes this again and again with Timothy. I want you to see it. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. It says, holding faith and a good conscience. So there's not this, this, Grand Canyon-sized chasm that, that, that exists between what you are preaching and what you say you believe, and then you go and live however you want. Uh, we, we want that to be narrowing. You have a good conscience about it. Let's keep going in chapter 4. Chapter 4, let's look at verse 7. He emphasizes the same kind of thing. Chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. But then so helpfully, he says in verse 7, rather train yourself for godliness. So, so there's, a, there's a motivation here. It's not just enough to say you believe in the perfect work of Christ. That's most important. That's vital. That's essential. But then it leads to something. It leads to discipline, training yourself for godliness. And then how about chapter 4, verse 11, where it says, Command and teach these things. Then verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, because he's younger than older, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Then how about verse 15? Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Verse 16, keep close watch on yourself and the teaching. Notice both of those on yourself and the teaching. So doctrine, yes, purity, keep a close eye on it, but you've got to watch your life too because you don't want to be living in absolute contradiction. Utter hypocrisy. And the church gets out of balance when we don't pay attention to both of those, just like pastors get out of balance when they don't talk, emphasize both of those. You know, we make the mistake in saying, you know what, uh, the gospel's all about the way you live. Huh, I don't think, there's not a lot of hope in that. The gospel's about what Jesus did. He came into this world to save sinners. Right? But then, we so love that, and we should, we have to be careful that we realize that that is actually supposed, supposed to stir our hearts and, and, and cause us to, to have great gratitude and to do what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and following in Philippians chapter 2. We respond and we respond to our new master by devotion to him. We want pastors as a church who are these kinds of pastors. By God's grace and only by God's grace it can happen. They pay close attention to the teaching, to the doctrine. They're also paying attention to their life so as not to, 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 to bring a scandal on the message they proclaim. We don't want them preaching themselves. We want them preaching Christ. But we do want to see that that preaching is leading to an effect in their life by the Spirit. Okay? All right. We're almost there, guys. Exciting stuff. It's kind of, I, just as an aside, I love talking about pastors when I can because it encourages my own heart. But if I did this every week, it would just be self-serving. So it's just so nice to be able to... And, and I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor, and I'm so thankful. I mean, ha having grown up with unfaithful pastors, 
who didn't preach the gospel and the word of God. Um, to me, a pastor was kind of a a wimpy guy that looked what looked like wore what looked like a dress. Told stories that put me to sleep every week. Part of that was my fault, but but still. Then all of a sudden I became a Christian. It's like, you know, a pastor, he's supposed to be the man of God. A pastor is the preacher of the word of God that transforms people's lives. I want a, I want a good pastor. I, want, I really want a good pastor. I know that resonates with some of you. And so if I have opportunity to talk about pastors, I love to talk about pastors because I'm thankful for pastors. And, and I really want you to be as well. I'm thankful for Pastor Mike and for his family and I want them to be encouraged today as well as accountable to these things. I want today be a, to be a great day for Omaha Bible Church as well. Well, let's move on now. Are we on number five? Did we get there? Thank you. Um, number five. His ministry above all else is about promoting and defending the gospel. His ministry above all else is about promoting and defending the gospel. And at another time, read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They're called the pastoral letters, the pastoral epistles. And you can't, you can't get around it. It's gospel, 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 gospel. It's everywhere. It's, it's all about the reality of promoting the good news about Christ, that, 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 that he came into the world, that he, he lived a perfect life of obedience under the law of God. He did everything right on our behalf, that he, that he then was treated as if he did everything wrong and he voluntarily went to the cross. And, and then what does he do? Then, then he, he, he gives himself over to be crucified. Then he's crucified. He absorbs the wrath of God, the judgment of God for our law breaking, though he's the law fulfiller. All of this because he loves us, even when we're unlovely. And then he's raised from the dead victorious. It's amazing. Then he ascends. Then he's at his right, the Father's right hand, interceding. He's there for us, claiming us as his own. It's absolutely amazing. And you see it all over the pastoral letters. Paul calling Timothy, Paul calling Titus to do everything that they do, either in promotion or defense of the gospel. Those are the kind of pastors we want to have. It's gospel, 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 gospel. We don't want pastors who, who are just good leaders, though leadership is important. We don't want pastors who are creative, though creativity might be important. We don't want pastors who, quite honestly, move beyond being about one thing. Promoting and defending the gospel. I'm so thankful, even for Pastor Mike. You know, it's, it's a how, however you cut him, whatever comes out of his mouth when he's up front on a Sunday morning or in a meeting or somewhere else, in one way or another, at gut level, conviction level, however you cut him, he bleeds gospel. That's what we want. Seems like he's read First and Second Timothy. <laughs> Seems like he's a Christian pastor. It's good. It's right. Let's get a taste of this in 1 Timothy. Just a, just a taste of promotion and defense. Then we'll wrap things up. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the promoting side. 1 Timothy 2, 1. 
It's this prayerful priority when it comes to outsiders, when it comes to unbelievers. This is how Timothy is to be. This is how every pastor is supposed to be. First of all, how about that? Priority, exclamation point before the sentence begins. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So he's not actually to, to, the, to the punchline yet, but he's saying something very important that we're going to need to draw on. But first of all, just notice, put your finger there for a second before we go to verse 3. Pray for people you don't even like. Pray for people you don't like to pray for. Pray for people you think are unsavable. Pray for the people who are persecuting Christians right now. You even need to pray for them. The gospel should so be a motivating factor in your life, because he's going to get to the gospel part in just a second, that you're praying even for those guys. That's what a big priority of the gospel is. Then verse 3, this is good. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, oh, he's reminding him about salvation, our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people. You could even translate it all kinds of people, even like kings and those in authority. Who desires all people or all kinds of people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. It's, just, it's awesome. Timothy, the gospel should be such a priority for you. I need you to remember how the gospel works in your life. He's our Savior. But Timothy, I've told you that I'm the, the foremost of sinners. I'm one of those guys that people would have thought, we, we don't even pray for him. We pray for them too. Pray for them too. Because we have a saving God we're dealing with. I love what he does. He, he does the total basic like 101 logical explanation. There's only one God. Just a little reminder. Hello. You know, there's, there's only one God and there's only one humanity. We have a problem. And so what do we do? Well, God has done something. It's not what we do. God has provided a mediator between us. And there's only one mediator because there's only one who is God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So you pray for people that they would be saved because there's no hope apart from that. It's awesome. Just reminding him about the gospel, priority of promoting it, even to those you would think would never in a bazillion years care. But then he has to talk to him about defending the gospel. We've already seen chapter 4, verse 1, about uh, the, the difficult times coming, deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What's so interesting now is he's talking about needing to defend the gospel, but he's primarily defending the gospel, not, not against kings and authoritative people who are persecuting. No, promote the gospel to those people. It's people who are inside, the false teachers, the wolves dressed up like sheep. Better yet, maybe, wolves who are dressed like shepherds because they have sheep wool on, sheep's clothing. They dress up like pastors. You've got to fight those guys. A true pastor who is a faithful pastor is not only a promoter, he's a warrior. He's a warrior shepherd because he will do whatever is necessary to protect the 
sheep. Not only that, he'll do whatever is necessary to protect the gospel. Think with me, if you would. If there's only one God and one humanity and one mediator between the two, you better protect that. If there were many gospels, many ways, eh, protection, who cares? They'll find another path to God. They'll find another way. If there's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, a faithful, caring shepherd will go to war to protect that gospel because it's actually the only hope that people have. I'm saying it this way because otherwise we think it's mean-spirited to be a fighter. It's mean-spirited to not be a fighter when it comes to the truth of the gospel. And so we've got to keep that in mind here. 1 Timothy chapter 6 gives us this fighting posture, this, this, this guarding posture. And, and I hope as you're, as you're turning to 1 Timothy 6, it's so interesting. We, we get it backwards sometimes and we hear about fighting and we think, oh yeah, Christians need to fight unbelievers. Paul didn't send that memo to Timothy. Pray for the unbelievers. We have a saving God we're talking about. Fight the professing believers who might share your cultural and moral values. But they're perverting the gospel. How about that? What does it say in chapter 6, verse 12? Fight the good fight of the faith. Well, notice it's the faith too. Again, if there are many faiths in many ways, then you wouldn't need to fight. But if there's the faith... Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and, and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. But, but no, no doubt about it, you're, you're fighting here. It's not a literal fight. It's not literal war because it's the fight of the faith. But nevertheless, he uses that dramatic, intense warrior imagery to show us how serious it is. Then how about chapter 6, verse 20? 6.20 says, Oh, Timothy. It's this, this, this last wooing, pleading, reminding. Verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. What an image he uses there. Promoting, guarding, defending, strong posture, battle-poised posture. Pray for our pastors. Pray for pastors around the world. Pray for our church and pray for one another that we would have it straight in our minds. That we wouldn't fall into that trap of fighting unbelievers and accepting anyone who names the name of God or the name of Jesus. Paul's biggest enemies in Galatians were those who would have said they believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. But not grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. They were the closest when it came to moral values. There's just this thing you have to do in addition to believing in Jesus. And, and as long as you do these things religiously, then God will accept you. And Paul says they're damned because they're taking away from the true gospel which perfectly and completely reconciles us to God. So we want pastors. I'm thankful that Pastor Mike is that kind of pastor. Perfect? No. 
but the kind of pastor who understands the, the gospel well enough to know it's what we promote to unbelievers who act like unbelievers because they're unbelievers. But we have a saving God who desires all different kinds of people to be saved. And so we promote the gospel to them. And we promote the gospel to believers, yes, but that's where we also defend the gospel in front of professing believers who really aren't. It's motivating. It's encouraging. Be encouraged, Omaha Bible Church. We've not arrived, but Jesus has, and he claims us as his own, and we don't need to walk around Omaha, Nebraska with an identity crisis. And praise God for raising up weak, imperfect human beings to proclaim a perfect, powerful, sword-like word of God that both wounds and heals spiritually. And I say praise be to God for that. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your gracious provision that you provided perfect reconciliation through your perfect son, Jesus. And he is our hope. And he is our righteousness. And, and, and he is our sanctification. And he is our glorification. And he is our great, great shepherd. And we're grateful for that. And we're grateful for the privilege we have of proclaiming Christ here in this place. And we do pray for other churches and other places in this country and in other places around the world that you would continue to raise up people who will not be ashamed of the gospel, that you would continue to raise up pastors who will be pastors under your authority. We are thankful for Mike Grimes and for how you've sovereignly worked according to your providence to bring him to that place where he's trusting in Christ and Christ alone. We're grateful for uh, the way you've called him into pastoral ministry. We're thankful that you've brought him to Omaha, to Omaha Bible Church. We're thankful that he plays an important role in our midst. Help us to respond to him in a way that is fitting and appropriate as a fellow Christian and also as a pastor. Lord, we're thankful for his wife Angie as well, and we're thankful for uh, the great helper that she is to him and the way you've worked in her life. Give them good and fruitful ministry here uh, in their family. In Jesus' name, amen.